Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury. Hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both of our partners are quadriplegics. And after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends with Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspectives. Us each week as we tackle deep discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wags of SCI podcast. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Wags of SCI podcast with your hosts, Selena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Today, we are going to be recapping the American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine event that we were so honored and grateful to attend with the Kessler Foundation, and uh, that was in Atlanta, Georgia. So we just got back home, and we would love to share with you everything that we experienced during the time that we were away. Before we get started, we'd like to send a huge shout out to this episode's sponsor, Robin Wishart of Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Robin is the official legal advocate of the Wags of SCI community, providing legal support and assistance with things like reviewing benefits paperwork, looking into your case, writing letters of recommendation or medical necessity, and finding resources in your area. She is amazing, and she's also helping us with our own paid caregiver cases where we live. And if you want more information, visit wagsofsci.com and click on the Legal Resources tab where you can learn more about our partnership and what Robin does for the community. And if you want to learn more about what Robin does, her and her team at Wishart Brain and Spine Law, you can visit brainandspinelaw.com. So thank you everyone for tuning in today. We are relaxing as we just got back from a big trip and it was a work trip for Wags of SCI where we had an opportunity to present at the ACRM conference, which is the biggest rehab medicine conference in the world um, this past week. And so we wanted to tell all of you guys about it because we had a lot of questions on the private group and through email about how exactly do we travel and how is this possible? Because both our partners are quadriplegics. And so if you want more information on um, the nature of why we were there and, you know, getting ready to travel, we talk about that a few episodes back. So click on that episode and listen to that. And that kind of details like the preparation that we have made for our trip, what we are doing, who we are hiring, all that stuff. We're going to talk about today what it was actually like at the conference for us from the time we left our partners to the time we arrived in Atlanta. And we're, we're quite a ways away from Atlanta. Um, like across the country, literally. So it took six hours to fly. And we're just going to kind of recap some of our experiences. <laughs> right. So I think it's important <laughs> to note that, um, well, our flight in itself was an interesting experience as, uh, yeah, we had a bit of a hiccup uh, being stuck in the tarmac. First of all, we showed up at the airport at 2.30 in the morning to uh, catch a flight and make sure that our seats were correct. But once we arrived in Calgary from Vancouver, we were stuck in the tarmac for two hours, then offloaded. Then we're told that we weren't going to be leaving 
or arriving in our, on our next destination in Atlanta for another 24 hours, which of course made things complicated because our presentation was the following day. Um, so that meant that we wouldn't be able to make it there in time. So that was, uh, you know, with all the nerves, uh, of, uh, attending some of these huge international meetings, it can really be a bit overwhelming on the one hand, but of course it's also a great, uh, it's a great reminder that there is a huge community just working across the board to really, uh, touch down on caregivers and the community of SCI. And for us, we were the perspective of not so much scientific, but we were the perspective of the care partners. And so we were able to give a lot of that, I would say, support and experience directly to the people that are doing the groundwork in the more scientific community. And um, I think that was a very honorable place to walk into the conference um, at. And we were very, very grateful to the Kessler Foundation and Dr. This the senior senior research scientist, Dr. Denise Fife, for including us in her research on the unmet needs of caregivers. And of course, Brooke and I were able to present the perspective of us and how how we began Wags of SCI, this international community that supports, what did we say, across the board, 13,000 individuals. And as many of you know, over 2,200 women alone on the private Facebook discussion group. So we're extremely humbled and grateful to be able to present that on behalf of all of you. I think it was really cool how for such a science-y convention, you know, these were all research scientists, they were physicians, they were leaders in their field of rehabilitative medicine and to just be able to include some real life folks like us. <laughs> um, it was really, really amazing, especially since we met some, um, some uh, people that work for different scientific journals that wanted our perspective, our real life perspective to add to their journals, which is very interesting. So it, it was not only research based, but it was more like real world based and adding and adding that to their journals, which was um, that was new for me to learn. I didn't realize that journals even did that, but apparently they do. So yeah. I do feel, I feel like we've come across this actually quite, quite a bit in the last year specifically that there, there seems to be an opening for more funding to gain the lived experience of individuals that they are researching. For example, my partner, Dan, uh, C6 level quadriplegic, he underwent a nerve transfer surgery a couple years ago. And, you know, he's been asked to be on the lived experience panel the board that has a lived experience to be able to give that direct feedback back to the study, back to the people who are doing, back to these brilliant scientists and doctors who are doing uh, the research. So again, I feel like there is a bigger space there available for anybody listening right now, if you're a community member, that there is a space for you and to all of those who did contribute their efforts and feedback uh, back to Dr. Denise Fife for the research that was conducted on the number of caregivers within our communities and the sort of needs that they are seeking as a care partner to their partner. We want to say thank you for taking the time to be able to provide that very valuable um, advice and experience. For sure. And so when we arrived at our hotel, it was very, very late at night. We didn't expect to arrive there so late. We were dead tired because we had been traveling all day and we've had some layover issues and we, you know, we were kind of stranded for a while. So um, 
being able to like go into the, <laughs> the hotel and just we're like so exhausted. Um, we woke up up the next morning and that was our presentation day. And so like <laughs> you and I waking up being so swollen from the airplane, um, just not feeling our best. We went to Whole Foods Market. We spent $60 in a cab to get there and back <laughs> to get greens, powders, and energy shots, and coconut water, and salad, all this healthy stuff to try and like put into our bodies so we could recover by the time our uh, presentation was around 5 p.m. that night. So that was fun. <laughs> I think, I think also like being on the airport, well, airport surrounded by people that are also facing so much um, uncertainty can also sort of, it can, it can change your energy levels and make you a little bit more susceptible as you can, as you can hear me now, I am sick with what I think is a cold um, since we returned back home, but you're mixing a lot of other people and their germs and their whatever they're experiencing in a, in a very tiny airplane. Right, Brooke. And then also, like you had said, we, we were up at 1am at the airport, 2.30, didn't arrive until 11 o'clock the following day or that day, sorry, we didn't arrive until 11pm at night and then having to walk around Atlanta, try to find some food that night. Didn't really, didn't really work out for us. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the anticipation also of being able to present at something so big, uh, you know, the, the world's largest symposium. Um, there's a lot, a lot of factors there that us as caregivers, you know, uh, we had a lot of adjusting to do to that and also leaving behind our partners and trusting that they were in a safe and secure environment. Also um, getting all of their needs met while we were away was a whole other thing too. Yeah, for sure. So like having that all compounded into, you know, we had just arrived and then now we were presenting. I definitely think, and I know we talked about this when we left that if we were to ever do this again, we would arrive a day we would leave a day um, additional in there just to kind of relax. I don't think that our, <laughs> the team at Kessler really understood how long of a flight we have and how literally we're across the country from, <laughs> from Atlanta. So I think, you know, next time we do something like this, we're definitely going to have a, a day extra for travel and for recovery. Um, but you know, it was all good. We really pulled it together for the presentation. We had a good turnout and we met a lot of really interesting people. Um, the people that were at our presentation worked in rehab hospitals. They were doctors. There were two lead SEI doctors that came from a hospital in Kentucky um, and Alabama. And then it was interesting their feedback because we did get a standing ovation after our treatment, which is very um hilarious but also really cool because you know these are these are doctors these are people that are very sciencey these are very nerdy people and they liked our presentation and they thought it was really really needed and refreshing and um that was really nice to witness it was and i think it's you know when you're in this and you're presenting it's <clears throat> from my experience we made a lot of notes <laughs> i think i even wrote out what i was going to say and i did not use any of it 
which is so, you know, when you're in it and you kind of get the, the tunnel vision of, okay, here we go. And the nerves act up. And, and, uh, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, watching the people coming in slowly into the room at first. I thought, oh my God, maybe we'll only have like 10 people come in here. Perfect. Less nerves. But as, as, <laughs> as more and more people filled the seats, it's, uh, it was really neat just to see that other people cared about, you know, the, this perspective. And I think being a caregiver, sometimes that gets lost on us thinking, you know, we're just here, we're just doing the care and that's, you know, we don't have a voice and sometimes we get lost in translation. But again, it was, it, I feel like it came full, full circle knowing that we were speaking on behalf of other women's experiences. So anybody at home listening to this, just know that your voice was also heard. And I think that that was a big part of it. Yeah, for sure. And it was really cool to have um, a lot of these people come up to us afterwards because we did a Q&A at the end of our presentation, but a lot of people didn't get to ask all the questions they wanted to ask. Um, so we had, we kind of split off. I thought that was kind of interesting how we just like split off from one another and each of us took a person to like answer questions too. It's very funny. Um, and I will never forget the conversation I had with a pain doctor at a university hospital. I'm not going to name which hospital, but it, he was one of the head pain doctors at a prominent university hospital in uh, the South. And he actually had his notebook with him. Like it, and it's interesting at these conferences, you know, you wear the lanyards with your name tag on it. Um, and it says where you're from, but there's also the option to get all of these, like, uh, they're like kind of like silk patches that you can get and hang off your lanyard as to like who you are, where you're from, if you're hiring all these like different ribbons. associations, ribbons. Yeah. yeah. Like ribbons of like these different associations. So this guy had like a really long, he has so, so many credentials and he had three or four buttons on his jacket. And oh. one of them, one of them had the hospital name. One of them had his like degrees and diplomas and all that stuff. And it was just insane. This guy's credentials. And I'll never forget this conversation because he came up and he said, ladies, I just, I want you to know how needed this is. Um, you know, I deal with a lot of spinal cord injured patients and their partners, and I never know what to say to the partner when the partner wants to know the care, when the caregiver wants to know how they help themselves with self-care. Um, how do they factor themselves into the equation? How do they look after themselves when they are the full-time caregiver? And he literally had his notebook out and he was like literally going to take notes while I was talking to him. And so I looked him in the eye and I said, listen, it's really simple. I'm like, you cannot factor any time for self-care if you don't see your importance and you see your value and you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to start with five minutes a day to myself, completely to myself, where I'm going to lay on the bed and relax. I'm going to do some breathing. Um, and I'm just going to take that time out religiously. Like it's like something that I have to do for myself every day. And once you take that time out for yourself, regardless of how high of an injury your partner is, you can do it right. If you prioritize yourself instead of scrolling on your phone, for instance. And so I said that to him, I'm like, listen, five minutes, five minutes, you just have to understand how important you are and how you need five minutes. And then five minutes will generally expand to 10 to 20 to half an hour to one hour. And in that time, it's a journey, right? You can't start with all of these um, tips and tricks on how to relax if you're not relaxed, <laughs> right? Like you have to get to the place where you can actually relax first. And so I explained to him, I'm like, most of these ladies are in survival mode. You know, they don't know how to stop and relax and devote some time to themselves. And he literally was listening to me and he, he was like, 
I don't know, it was kind of like a mind blown kind of thing on his face. And I just thought it was so funny because I'm like, here's this guy who was like a top pain doctor who doesn't know much about self-care and can't help his patients, right? He can help his patients with all the drugs and all the, the, you know, the stuff that doctors do. But when it comes to actually helping in the real lives of these caregivers, he's, he's drawing Mm -hmm. blanks, which it was pretty cool to witness and how receptive he was. That was another cool thing is he was so receptive these ideas and i would say that he was the most interactive in the audience what not the most but one of the most every time you looked over at him during speaking he was you know nodding his head and had his face in his hands like oh my goodness and oh yes you know ladies you're doing important work um i thought was really really cool we also heard from an individual who was quite moved and i think she said it with such conviction the amount of she spoke about one foundation particularly. Uh, again, we won't name names, but she said, you know, this particular foundation claims to be for caregivers, but about 6% of their collective funding goes to the actual caregiver when this foundation claims to be there for caregivers. So that was, again, you know, you guys, we talk about this stuff all the time. Why we're not a foundation, why we're not a registered organization. Um, we talk about this all the time, how Brooke and I went out and collected pop cans so we could give you guys date nights. We've created these various um, forums for you to be able to go on to and connect with one another for free. We don't have a membership fee that is associated with Wags of SEI. We've done everything grassroots and for free to give back to our community. We know what that's like because the reality is, is that the majority of these collected funds, and you'll see this happening on Giving Tuesday, which is coming up end of this month. A lot of those funds don't actually go back to to the individuals that are affected. And we're not being, <laughs> I'm not being a Debbie Downer. I'm not trying to, but that is something that you have to keep in perspective when you are donating to various organizations. And uh, so that was really cool just to be able to see the feedback from community members again, without us even mentioning anything about anybody else there, any other, any other foundation that was, that was uh, present at this conference. But again, I think it, it uh, definitely clarified the stance of what some of these people were thinking when they came to our presentation. So that was, that was, uh, again, you have to be really receptive. Like this could have gone all bad. We could have had people walking out of the room. We could have had, we could have had people say, I don't really know what you're talking about or nobody cares about caregivers because that is a, that is definitely something that we had at the beginning of creating wags of SCI was that we had some pushback pushback from community members saying, well, you're not the injured patient. Why are you even standing up? Like sit down. And now it's changed immensely. There is a perspective where caregivers matter and they should matter because they are doing the care. They're doing the care for free. Many of them are doing the care for free. This month is caregiver awareness month. This is the month where we're going to be able to give a voice to the people who are behind the scenes who have not been recognized and may not ever be recognized in any other way. And these are the, the people that have uh, kept their partners safe and at home during a pandemic. These are the women who pick up the slack when home care workers do not show up. So this voice is needed. It does matter. And I hope that if you are listening today, that you will be able to take this month to have open conversations with friends and family about what does caregiver month actually mean to you? For sure. 
For sure. It's really important. Um, well, what a good way to kind of launch into Caregivers Awareness Month by finishing that uh, that conference, because I know we were in it was in the works of planning for over a year. Um, so just to have that kind of under our belts now and could kind of see, you know, who came, who was into caregivers rights? What did we learn? Um, and we were shocked at how many people actually care. Um, but also how many people don't exactly know what to do. And I know there was a couple of other doctors who actually led the spinal cord injury program at another university hospital, um, females who, who stood up and were saying, you know, this is a huge problem. Nobody cares about caregivers. Um, and, and what are we going to do to have empirical studies that show just how detrimental, um, not caring about caregivers is right. Um, and programs for them into, in the hospitals and stuff, they really, really saw the importance of it. So, I even said to them, I remember, I was like, you know, we don't blame you guys for not paying attention to us. It's not, you know, you have a limited amount of time with patients. You don't have the resources. It's not in the program. It's not in the system. Um, And that kind of just, that in itself, it just, it really, really highlights how many systems are broken. And you know, like what you were saying earlier, how we always talk about not being a foundation and not, you know, going that route. We've worked really, really hard over the past six years to, um, develop trust with our community members. And that sort of, uh, the the difference between us and a foundation is that we're boots to the ground, like we always say, but we also are forming a new system based around the community, not based around funds and keeping a foundation alive. Um, we are basing it around the community's needs and what they need now. Um, and I know we talked to another, we had another meeting, the, the final night we were there with a spinal cord injury consortium. And that was a group of men and women who come together, who have interest in spinal cord injuries and spinal cord injury research. So of the community at the ACRM, they were specifically for spinal cord injuries. And it was really cool because we had the opportunity to present in front of them. And we met a guy who is, uh, you know, at the helm of another foundation, he's actually Canadian who he literally took the words out of our mouth when he said, I'm sick of foundations trying to find a cure for things. I want to deal with the day-to-day life of what people with spinal cord injuries really have to deal with. A lot of people don't care about a cure. They just want to live well, right? And so he's like, I think we should get our ducks in a row and get that in order before we focus solely on a cure, that has been happening for the past 30, I I believe he was injured for almost 40 years. And he's like, I've been hearing this for 40 years. And it's like, well, it's important. I think it's really important to the majority of the focus should be on helping these people live better lives because they're dying. They're sick. Their caregivers are not being paid. You know, these are things that are also important, but I was really blown away by, by that because you know, these things, people are out there trying to, to work on these things just like us. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really great. And, and that's something that, yeah, that was Barry that said that, right? Um, and that's something that I, I hear a lot of people who do have spinal cord injuries, like within our peer groups here in British Columbia is, hey, cool, let's collect some funding for the cure. But what about quality of life? What about meanwhile? What about creating a good life, making sure that you have an accessible home, an accessible vehicle, accessible yeah. activities, um, being able to afford life in general after spinal cord injury, they say it's one of the most 
expensive injuries injuries to sustain and i think a lot of people don't realize that they think they see somebody in a wheelchair and they think oh my god that's the worst thing to happen to me but in reality there are so many secondary conditions there are so many social issues involved there are so many accessibility issues involved in having an injury so why don't we use some of our dollars to create better programs the programs that are here in the now for the people that are here and now not for people People who are going to be getting a cure in 80 years from now or whatever it yeah. is. Um, and that is the perspective that we like to keep as the founders of WEGS of SCI, because we really find it important that these are the needs of us and the women that are here doing the work now. Um, yeah. So that was, that was, uh, yeah, that was a really powerful statement, but also one echoing the work that we do as well. Yeah. It was really nice to, to see that there's other people that care about that stuff because, you know, we, we always get the whole, Oh, why aren't you guys doing this? Why aren't you foundation? Why? It's like, we don't want to be part of a system. We want to create our own and you know, that's lonely at times, but if we stick to it, we see stuff happening out there, right? It's really positive what's happening, especially after COVID. Um, and so I guess from my perspective, what I learned at the, when we went to this, uh, this ACRM was that there's a lot of room for caregivers and now is the time to really step up and voice what your needs are to your physician, to your social worker, to nurses in the community. Talk about your stuff. Talk about your issues. Talk about the stuff that concerns you. Now is the best time. And if you want to go further, um, I mean, we met, <laughs> we met on the, on one of our days there, um, the, diversity officer, the diversity inclusion officer who is in a wheelchair herself to President Biden. And she kind of, she said to us a few things that was kind of interesting, um, you know, what they're working on and how important caregivers are to the administration and how they're looking into things, right? I mean, you can't really trust what politicians say anyways, but it was nice to hear that caregivers are on their radar Um, So now is a really good time to reach out to your local representation, even your state representation, your province representation, and voice what you want done with your caregiving community and how important it is to you. And uh, you'll, you know, this stuff is getting heard. So that was kind of my takeaway is because I didn't realize how much it was getting heard and how important it was until, until we got there. So that's great. What is your takeaway from the experience, Elena? Oh, man. <clears throat> well, I think we've we've both said it in various ways that we were extremely grateful to be part of the conversation, to be included as we are not in the scientific. We're not, we, we didn't present any evidence-based uh, research that we did on our own, except for partnered with, with Denise Fife, which was amazing. By the way, we found out at the very end that Denise was also the chair, not only the, not only the uh, senior research scientist, but the chair of the conference, which made it even more that much more of that wow moment of, uh, being included. But the takeaway that I got from the entire experience is that it is a lot of work to prepare for something like this. Yes, it is a lot of work. Um, like I said, you can hear it in my voice now that I'll have a couple days of, uh, of relaxation, hopefully, but still being a caregiver. Right. And that's the other thing too, is as I was lying in bed this morning, um, I woke up 
I woke up to our caregiver. We get an hour and a half of care in the morning to get down out of bed. And I slunk away into the spare room and I just lay there with like so much gratitude in my heart thinking, oh my God, I'm so grateful for her. I'm so grateful she came in. She's able to do the bowel program, the shower, the dressing, and I can just crawl into the spare room bed, which is still something that's new to us. We've been living in this um, adapted housing in this condo or apartment or whatever for two years. But before that, we didn't even have that. So the exhaustion of like the first few years of being a caregiver was very real. And uh, so now it was nice to have that just to be able to say, oh my gosh, we have somebody. Thank you for, because being a caregiver and being sick, you still have to show up for all the care. It's not like you get to just have somebody fill in the 24 hour clock for your partner. That's not even a thing. But um, so preparing before leaving for the conference was huge. You and I did an IV, um, uh, herbal IV drip of vitamins and minerals before we left. Um, tried to get as much sleep as possible, which didn't really happen. <laughs> um, prepared the nerves of preparing was huge. The nerves of our partners being cared for properly, the preparation of training other people before we left, packing and meal prepping before we left, cleaning the house before we left, all that stuff is a lot. Coming home and still feeling like you need to get back to caring, but also domestic duties of laundry and walking the dog and making meals and, you know, getting back to a week because we arrived back home on Thursday. So it was Friday, but today's Monday and we're getting back to it all, but being able to juggle everything on top of your own needs is a really real conversation. So what do you do when you are under the weather and you can't do those things? Um, that's a good, I think it's a good perspective to keep in mind for everybody and for myself included that you have to make that time for your rest. Now you have to make that time for your wellness now, or else you will be forced to make that time later on. So across the board, self-care leading this podcast episode into this week's four-part series of self-care is incredibly important for yourself but also so you can continue taking care of your partner because they will need it they will need you to be their caregiver I think get excited about this month because we are focusing on different topics of self-care on the podcast. This is just a little bonus episode for week one, but later this week, we're going to be releasing another episode highlighting mental and emotional health. And we're going to go through each different uh, weeks of November, highlighting different topics of self-care and how you can apply them to your life as a caregiver. So I think it's going to be really, really informative and really fun as well. So we're really looking forward to that. Um, As always, if you have any questions or if you have anything to add or if you want to propose a topic for us to discuss please um, head over to our website or you can email us at wagsofsci at gmail.com you can follow us on instagram at wagsofsci find our community on facebook and if you haven't joined the private discussion group yet please do so um and yeah we will see you uh, next week when we discuss mental and emotional self-care so thank you for tuning in everyone and take care of yourselves and love one another. Cheers. Cheers.